Welcome to Facilitating Voices, an outlet podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Haley Crow, And I'm Claire Helixo. On this show, we discuss difficult topics surrounding mental health, social justice issues, equity, and more. Some weeks we listen to social workers, community members, or other passionate human service providers, and other weeks you might hear someone's personal story about their journey to healing. Ahead on today's episode, we'll be speaking with Joel Crow. We've been talking about this episode pretty much since inception of Facilitating Voices, but he lives over on the other side of the state, so we conned him into coming on the show this weekend while he's here. I'll tell you a little bit about Joel, and then he'll dive into the deep stuff. So as many of you may know from hearing snippets of my story, Joel grew up living in many different homes. We were involved in the foster care system for seven years, and from that it led into what happens for a lot of young folks who've experienced a lot of ACEs, some really risky behaviors. And I'm just going to lay that out as a blanket statement so that he can explain his story. Today we're going to explain how Joel got to 15 months sober, and we're going to talk about his journey to healing, whatever he's comfortable with. So, it's really my greatest honor to have my other half here, and we'll jump right into it after we hear from another show here at the Chatter Network. Welcome to Redux, a podcast about music, by a music lover, for music lovers. I'm Van Berryman, math teacher by trade, podcaster by hobby, former radio host and production coordinator, and avid music lover. Step into Redux for deep looks into album reviews with a concise but thorough comparison of an artist's first album to their most recent and their journey to get there. Plus, top 10 lists, best ofs, and other musical inputs to get you through the day. If you like what you hear, drop a follow on Instagram at Redux Podcast and feel free to let me know there what reviews you want to hear. Come along on this journey with me, sit back, and enjoy the ride. So, Joel, thanks for being here. What's up? <laughs> so, Joel, we talked a little bit beforehand about what this would look like, and we want to hear your story from your perspective. Whatever you're comfortable with, begin when you want. Yeah, you know, I really don't mind talking about any of it, but I do want to just start off by saying, you know, to God be the glory, because I couldn't have done it without Him, um, and I never knew the Lord until uh, just about 15 months ago. So, going into that, I just want to kind of do a... Um, just say... I'm not here to glorify my past, I'm just more here to give God glory in what he's done throughout my life. Um, and then I'll kind of go into some other things that have happened before I came to knowing the Lord. Yeah, Joel, again, thank you. And you're right, that is a part of your journey. And we've talked with other guests before on this podcast about how their journey to healing was about their relationship with Christ and whatever that looks like for them. And it is so important to have a community and if that is your faith community to help you heal. So... Speak your truth, whatever that looks like for you. We're just so honored to have you. Yeah, so um, it's a long story. Um, I'll just kind of sum up a lot of the, the main details where it all kind of stemmed from. Um, so grew up bouncing around from house to house, and uh, that was really hard. But the one thing I will say is um, even throughout the whole time in the system, uh, me and my twin sister, the one who I'm doing the podcast with, never got separated. So it was one of those things that... Um, it, it it's nice, you know, that doesn't happen very often, especially with the little kids. Um, they usually get separated in the system. And I believe that's where, um, personally where a lot of my, my issues with, um, just dealing with authority and, um, just searching. I didn't really know what I was searching for until later on, uh, down the, my road, I found out what I was searching for. And it was a hole that I tried, um, filling just many different ways. I tried filling it with drugs. I tried filling it with alcohol. I tried filling it with women. I tried filling it with, um, 
just pleasing people, um, whether it was selling drugs for um, people or whatever it was, just hanging out with gang members, whatever it was, I was always searching to um, have somebody pleased with me. And I think a lot of that stemmed from not having a, a father in my life. And when my father did kind of step in my life, I was pretty much at an age where I thought, you know, I was about 12 years old. And basically I thought, you know, I was, I'd already grown up on my own. I didn't need anybody to sit here and kind of tell me how to live my life, and on the other hand, he wasn't really there to do that, he was just kind of there to, um, he wasn't, it's kind of hard to explain, he was there, but he wasn't there, um, and it led to a lot of anger, and it led to me kind of, uh, just really, really going down a really bad road, um, looking for people that, uh, kind of loved me, and it was the wrong type of love, hanging out with gang members, but, I wouldn't change it for anything because it kind of brought me down a road to where I'm able to see people in a different light and now doing what I do, uh, just, I basically kind of work in a ministry where, um, it's not a treatment center, but it's a year long faith-based program. So it's nice because I'm able to relate to a lot of the people about a lot of the same circumstances for the most part. Um, but kind of getting back to it, I got involved in drugs and selling drugs really, really young. Um, and it very just over time escalated. And I think a huge part of where I missed the mark was I was doing it to please others. And so I had this fear of man and this people pleasing mentality. And it really led me into getting into a lot of trouble because I was just kind of down to do whatever with whoever, no matter what the cost was. And luckily I didn't get caught for a lot of it for most of the years. But when I did start running into the police and they started really, um, getting to know me, it was for really serious crimes, um, and a lot of them are still open cases right now, so I don't want to go too much into depth on them, but, but to God be the glory, just because basically, I have a lot of charges to where I have a lot of time where I was looking against it, but the Lord had a bigger plan in all of it, and, um, through a friend that I knew for a really, really long time, he had gone to this program and I knew about it and I was really looking for a way out and I was looking for a change in my life and I didn't really know how bad I needed it. I just needed to get away from myself, if that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So throughout the years, I just kind of ran with the wrong crowd and um, got involved in a lot of stuff and eventually it was um, it was just too much to handle. I... I uh, I've been to treatment more than once. I've been to jail more than once. Um, and every time I'd start doing good, but then I'd just fall back into the same crowd and the same people. And um, there was always just still that that hole, that void that I was trying to fill. And I just never knew how to fill it. Um, so I finally said I was done. I uh, pretty much left everything. And I got the okay from the courts, and I traveled to Spokane um, with a bunch of open cases still. And they... Uh, throughout time kind of worked with me on the cases I pled guilty to him and uh so there was just the things that I was dealing with um court wise but it kind of kept me centered on where where I'd be where my future would go if I didn't stay focused and where um just basically what the Lord saved me from and just uh because it's real easy to get in your feelings when something doesn't go your way even when you're clean and sober it's it's real easy to to get in your feelings and uh, want to leave and want to run because it's just what I'm so prone to doing my whole life was just running. Um, and that's a huge mountain that's uh, 
that luckily I've been able to conquer. And it's easier said than done because a lot of times, like I said, your emotions get in the way. But one thing I've learned over time is to, um, when you're dealing with a situation, to sit there for 24 hours before you really act on something. It's it's huge. It's because when you make decisions in the heat of the moment, it never leads to a good to a good road. Um, and I've seen it time and time again with uh, people that go in and out of programs and people that die after they leave the programs or just uh, decisions that they make just by using drugs. You know, um, I believe it was 2018. I lost 14 friends to overdoses within like uh, 10 months. And uh, it it's one of those things. It's just a life you get so used to. It's this, The sad part, I think, is that the things that I grew up getting used to I thought was the normal um and now I'm in a situation in life to where um I have people in my life that I actually get to see normal like what an actual normal life is for instance uh there's people that are married and they're happily married they don't abuse each other there's people that have children and they take care of their children and they love their children and they're good mothers and fathers and uh it's heartwarming. It really is because you, deep down inside, whether you had a good mom and a good father or not, you know what's good and you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you know what you want. And sometimes it's, you can't always have it, but you can still get the joy and the love from seeing other people doing their best to walk out their lives to the best of their capability. Um, that came from the same circumstances and the same backgrounds. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing because with that being said too, I'm, I'm in a spot where I get to see change lives every day, and uh, it's really amazing. It really is. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of it summed up. Um, I don't know what else do you want to know. Well, first of all, Joel, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. I think that there's so much power to be said about just like sharing your story and speaking your truth and and talking about your experiences. Um, and I feel like I'm hearing kind of like a consistent theme of like for you, what's been really healing is like a sense of community and a sense of um, conviction, like within your community and, and having people around you for support, um, your religious community. Can you just speak a little bit more to that and kind of how that has been helpful for you in your journey? Yeah. So um, I never knew the Lord. I had um, it's, it's kind of interesting enough because one of the things so. Let me kind of back up and explain it. So the place that I'm at, it's a year-long faith-based program, and it's kind of more like a Bible school. Mm-hmm. But um, anybody can come in, whether you're addicted to drugs or not. Um, most of the people obviously come in that are addicted to drugs, um, but not everybody is, which is kind of it's kind of cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, to tell you the truth, when I went into the program, I didn't really know what I was going into. All I knew is it was a year-long faith-based program. Um, and it was completely free and it was out of Pierce County. And so I just, I needed a way. So I went to Spokane and, uh, within like a week, my life completely changed. I got baptized for the first time. I gave my heart to the Lord. Um, and I started reading my Bible. It took me about a month to actually be able to, uh, read my Bible. But, um, so yeah, with that being said, I never really, I'd gone to church like with women in the past, just, just because, Mm -hmm. um, and then basically the only other time I'd ever gone to church was, um, like for AA or NA meetings, um, to get a paper signed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of hard to explain cause it's, it's just amazing. 
there there's peace and joy in my life and uh there's happiness and it it is like a solid community but i never really read the bible before before i came here um never really prayed and it was interesting i was actually uh in the program the other day we go around each morning and we start out by reading this little it's called the daily bread um and the whole group of guys we pray for a little bit and uh the lord really showed me something and it was basically that uh I had pray- I had called out to him, um, and he painted a picture of this one time specifically, um, and I'll never forget it. It was right before I came in, um, and it was interesting because I didn't realize that I was actually crying out to the Lord until I got saved, and uh, I was homeless, and it was it was probably about six seven a.m. It was the middle of summertime, and I was all alone, and I was sitting down at this. It was like a little cove. And it's just a beautiful sunrise and uh, just body of water. It's just me, me and myself and my thoughts. And I'm really, really dope sick. And I just remember this feeling in my heart where I was like, everything is so beautiful that I'm looking at, but all I feel is death. And it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to describe. But I, until later on, until about six months after that, I never understood what that feeling was. And it was basically the Lord telling me that there's a bigger purpose. Like, there's a there's a new life that you can be living. You don't have to live like this any longer. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting because now I get up every day and I read my word. Um, I, I go to church about three times a week. Um, two of them are church services. One of them's for a prayer night that we have at our church. And it's just a really small church, but it's a really amazing church because it's really... Um, focus on the Lord. It's not focused on like, like, um, people. It's not focused on numbers. It's just more focused on the Lord. And it's kind of hard to explain that one. Um, but yeah, it's, and it's, it's really interesting too, because the ministry that I'm a part of, one of their hugest outreaches is like giving back to the community in many different forms. Um, one of them is like, it's called the resource center and we go there and uh, basically feed the homeless, and then, like, because it's, there's about 20 guys, like, full-grown men in the men's discipleship, so we go and do work crews, like, we'll go and, like, remodel a house if it's the right time, and if it's the right person, um, but we do a lot of moves, and so we get to give back to a lot of people that are hurting and hopeless, and uh, in my past, I got so used to, uh, like, robbing people and stealing from people, and just trying to get as much as I could, um, and that's kind of where a lot of my current court situations stem from was just trying to, uh, have all this stolen property and just, you know what I mean? Like just, it just kind of comes with the territory when you're living a life as an addict. And, uh, in this, in this ministry, we got to give back so much. And, uh, I've just kind of like learned over time that I really have a heart for giving back to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing really. It is. So. Yeah, that is beautiful. Can you talk a little bit, Joel, just because um, you talked about it, right? That this this isn't your first, like, long period of being sober, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a period where you were sober for I think 13 I had, months. I think I had, like, 18 months or something like that. 18 months, yeah. and, um, and you were doing really great. <clears throat> but even I, um, I can obviously tell there's just such a huge difference from from that period to this period Mm. and um 
and you were doing really great things then, right? Like it, it's not that you weren't doing great things. You were, you got your diploma and you were working overnight and you were going to school and you were going to NA meetings. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is a difference is this, um, you were still, um, in this kind of like glorifying phase. Right. And I remember I used to talk to your sponsor about it where we used to say like, he's still glorifying things. Right. And can you just talk about like, and then, and then things did get bad again. Right. And that was kind of this period. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between, between then and now? Yeah. Um, it's huge. And to tell you the truth, it's uh, one of those things where it's like, um, there, there's times in a place and, uh, it's one of those things that was huge. It, it's, uh, for me to overcome actually, um, pastor Vince, the one that, uh, pretty much oversees the program. We had a really good talk one day and he wrote on a sticky note. It's in the front of my Bible. You get too excited when you talk about your past, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it's, it's what I would do. It's just, it's, it was so grown into me on who I was. It's all I knew about who I was. I didn't really know who I was, um, outside of that past life because, I'm about to be 25, and I mean, I I ran that life for close to 10 years. 10 I mean, years, ever since, yeah. I mean, like, a little bit before that, but, like, really, really dove in deep, like, with hard drugs and um, the really, really serious things, the things that I've witnessed, the things that I've been, been a part with. Um, you know, I've seen some really, really bad things. Um, and so it was just kind of ingrained in me and who I was. And so it did, it it derailed me, um, in certain times, even this time around, but I just had to learn how to, um, conquer it. And it's just because in that sense, you're just glorifying the devil. You're glorifying your past and, uh, just the things that are not good. I mean, it's nobody wants to be proud of hurting people. Like, and if they do, they, they don't understand that that's not who they really are. It's just what the, um, kind of like what the community and the wrong people have told you who you are because people want to use you and get you to do whatever. And, um, it doesn't, they don't care about your circumstances because that's obviously why they want to use you because they don't want to have it happen to them. They don't want to deal with the consequences. Um, so yeah, that got me into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, no, that's okay. You answered it. Um, the question was, what's the difference? Um, the difference is, Okay, so that's what it was. So before in the past, I think the first time around, um, it's easy to get some clean time. It's hard to want to stay clean because situations pop up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just kind of what I've learned throughout the time. And if you're still, if you still have a a void that you're trying to fill and you you don't know what the void is, it's going to slowly creep in. And uh, I mean, I'm sure anybody could tell you this. I mean, it doesn't really take somebody that's that smart to figure this one out. Your biggest battlefield is in your head. You know, circumstances change, your emotions change. But if you get set in your mind about your ways and your thinking about, oh, this is never going to change, you're, it's it's a deep pit to get stuck in, and it's really hard to overcome. And then also with the, the first time when I had a lot of clean time, it was a lot of works things to please people. And I think that's where it kind of comes back to along with even before – um, this change happened. I'm, I've always been somebody that wants to please people and make people happy, mm-hmm. even if it kind of derails me. Um, so like you said, I mean, I was going, I didn't really go back to school to, um, for my own want or need. I did it to make my dad happy. Um, 
I was working a lot because that was a little bit different. I mean, that was a job. And to tell you the truth, it was it was all learning experience that time too. It was my first time ever clean. It was my first time uh, ever being out on my own. Uh, it was my first time paying my own rent. I learned a lot in that season. Uh, I mean, a lot. You know, it was my first time really having my own car with insurance that I was paying for. Just stuff like that. It was just uh, it was a growing up time. You know, I might have been 19, but. I grew up a lot in the world's eyes of like things I'd witnessed and seen, but I'd never really grown up in like the um, like a community type, like where you're where you have to uh, sustain yourself. Um, and it really wore me out. I was going to school full time. I was uh, working 48 hour graveyard shifts. I was with a girl who had four kids. I was one, five, seven, and twelve. I was paying rent at two different places. Um, going to school. So I think, I believe my shifts were from like 5 p.m. till like 4 or 5 a.m. And it wasn't and then, close, and, right? You were driving. Yeah, and work. I was driving about 45 minutes, um, picking people up, giving them rides to work because I know how hard it is to hold a job just from past experiences of not having rides. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would go to school or I would go home, sleep for like four hours, and then go to school from like nine to two or something get another like three hours of sleep and I did this all sober and so there's two different ways to look at it um and I I firmly believe just with everything in life your perspective is huge on how um how your life's going to turn out because if you got a negative attitude about your circumstances and everything you're going to be miserable um so yeah I mean eventually I kind of derailed myself because I made it a lot about works um I accomplished a lot and I learned a lot about myself, but there was no balance in it. Um, and on top of that, I still had all my, uh, my legal stuff, like my detox or not my detox, my, um, inpatient outpatient. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my court stuff, probation. I had my Oxford house stuff, mandatory meetings. And so I, I had a really, really busy schedule, but women, I mean, it's just, it derails me every time. Um, and it's a hard one to deal with, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of where it stemmed from. Because I was doing really, really well. And then, um, again, I just got involved with this woman. And it just kind of derailed me over time. Um, and it turned out really, really bad. It ended up getting really, really bad. Um, I got back into drugs with her. And, like, I just... You turn into a whole different person on drugs, and uh, the anger and the violence really, really started to come out that time, and uh, it was a really, really dark point in my life after I relapsed that time, and uh, I was violent before on drugs, but this time around, it it turned to a spot to where, like, to tell you, I, I really didn't care about your life. Like, you had absolutely no value as a human being to me, and so it really spiraled me downhill with um with that and then just uh starting to hang again with like the wrong people like gang members I really just I was in a really really dark spot and it derailed me like crazy and so um but it was a good thing to tell you the truth because now I can look back and uh just kind of I've just learned a lot over the years I'm still young and I've learned a lot you know um because now it's, it's just so interesting because now I have such a love for people. And um, it's just amazing because the things that were supposed to do evil really brought about the good and the bigger picture. 
you know, there's trials and tribulations in, in the moments, but in the end, there's a way bigger picture in all of it, you know? So. I feel like you're touching on a lot of just, um, you know, when you're in this, like, space of trying to heal and recover um, and kind of take charge of your life, that there's a lot of expectations that are placed on you just from, like, the outside um, world. Like, you know, you should be going to school, you should be getting a job, um, you should be engaging in treatment, um, and then you have personal relationships in your life that are expecting you to be able to give some sort of, you know, some level of emotional energy. Um but it sounds like for you, what was really imperative, like in your healing and your sobriety was t- turning inward and giving yourself a lot of energy and focusing like on what was going on inside yourself. Um, and that's hard to do. I would, you know, it's really hard for people to to turn inward and like kind of take a look at what's going on for them because it's really painful. Um, so can you just speak a little bit to kind of like what your what were some of like the first steps you took? Um, in that journey of kind of turning inward and and spending time on yourself and focusing on your your personal healing. Um, this last time or the time before? Either one. Um. Whatever you feel like is relevant. The kind of the first times. Um, I healed different spots, but I didn't completely heal because mm-hmm. I was trying to heal on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last time around, um. You know, I was, the the times before I was in treatment for like 30 days mm-hmm. and uh, nothing against 30 day programs. But I mean, that's like you're barely you're, right. you're barely sober when you get out and then, yeah. you you know, you get thrown back into the real world. And uh, it's real, real hard to uh, move back into the old neighborhood, um, run into the same people and then live in a house um, mm-hmm. with ex addicts that are fairly clean, too. Um but this time around, I was I was pretty much completely thrown into a new area, um, in a whole different lifestyle. Like the the place where I'm at, it was a year long program, um, and like you guys were brought up, you know, not talking about the past. So I think that's a huge part where the healing came in unconsciously because I was um, I was able to heal without um wanting without having the thoughts come in with like man i really enjoyed living like that because you get it's real easy to get sidetracked and be like well it wasn't that bad mm-hmm. you know like the living that life wasn't that bad i mean it's just you can you can kind of live like you can get away with certain things but it's just it's not a good thing to do like that but a huge thing of healing was just kind of being able to sit down for over a year and uh really be able to evaluate my life but a huge thing was uh was the Lord. I mean, I, I was in a, a year-long faith-based program, and I was able to read the Word of God, and there's just uh, there's just scripture in there that's just so powerful and it can really change your life, you know. Um, I encourage you all to read just like Psalms 139 and Jeremiah 29, 11 that says basically that the Lord has thoughts and plans for you, plans for purpose and welfare, and for uh, to give you a life with peace. Uh, there's certain scriptures like Ezekiel 36, 28 through 30. It's in there somewhere. But it says that uh, he'll put a new heart and a new spirit in you, a, a spirit of righteousness. I believe it says, and then uh, he's and it's, there's just so much scripture in there that says that um, he's faithful and true to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And uh, if you don't believe the word, it's it's kind of it's kind of pointless. But once mm-hmm. you start believing it and believing like what the word of God says about you and that that the Lord formed you in your mother's womb and knew you before the foundations of the earth was laid. You know, it can really change you, and it can, 
all these negative things that were spoke over you in the past by like, for instance, my father, um, that's where a lot of my hurt personally came from mm-hmm. telling me that I'd, like never amount to anything that I was worthless and just, uh, a lot of foul language that I won't speak on here. Um, but it hurt. It really, it, it really hurt. And, uh, it took years, I mean, years to, to deal with it. And it still, it stemmed from a lot of anger, but kind of getting back to the healing, I, I was able to walk in to a church in the midst of like the heart of COVID when it was really bad and like nobody wanted anything to do with anybody. There's so much fear going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and to feel the love and compassion from so many people, not just like one person, but literally from a whole church body. Um, it's amazing. Like just a, a little short testimony, um, without going into detail, the reason I'm kind of back in Tacoma was because I have some court stuff that popped up from the past from some of my my dealings, um, and it's all right because leading up to here, I had literally a whole church body come. I had like six different pastors pray over me, wow. and uh, about 60 people coming together with agreement. And the morning that I left, I had about another 22 people coming into agreement in prayer or just um, for the peace and just uh, favor from the courts and whatnot, just to be able to say, like, look what the Lord has done in my life, you know, um, just to, to be a testimony. Um, and it's amazing to be able to be at peace because before you, can, it's real hard to go into court and be like, to be at peace knowing that regardless of what happens in the situation, you know that there's a bigger purpose in it. Mm. Um, and even if it's, even if the timing was just simply for this podcast to maybe reach out to somebody and just kind of encourage them that there is a bigger purpose in their life. I don't know what the Lord's purpose is for the timing of this court case to pop up, but I know that there is a reason behind it. Um, but back to the healing, it's just the, the love, um, the genuine love, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's, the love that I knew in the past was not like genuine love. It was just love for me, like for somebody that was willing to do whatever they were asked or told to do, um, in a lot of negative situations, whether it meant dealing drugs or, um, you know, just, uh, violence, like beating people up or like, you know, things with guns, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. or like robbing a house, just stuff like that. That's it it wasn't real love and to be able to walk into a, a church. And like when I, when I left over here, just uh, the amount of people that told me that they love me and were praying for me. Um, just, it's, it's kind of hard to explain if you've never experienced it. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's where a lot of the healing comes from. And there's still a lot of like areas in my life that are still right now being healed. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that's for everybody. There's, there's always going to be a spot in your life. That's like, that needs a little bit of healing you know of course yeah it's really powerful can you i know i've tried not to get emotional um can you talk to us a little bit about i think even in this even since you got here yesterday i've been um which when this comes out will be oh you know about a week ago and um can you talk a little bit about and maybe just for guidance or what your experience has been like on what it's like to um, have parental figures or family members who can be extremely toxic and 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 something that you're talking about a lot um, that I'm hearing 
is this need to please. And, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of research now on, like, um, f- you know, people go into fight or flight or yep. freeze. Yeah. But then there also is um, another one they've discovered, which is fawn. Or appease. Yeah. yeah, which and essentially fawning is um, this need to appease to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, it's it's, a, you know, it's you could go into it just as easily as you go into fight or flight. You could mm-hmm. go into fawn. Um, and both of us have this this fawn, right, that we have gotten ourselves in a lot of trouble um, trying to appease parents that <laughs> have not really done a lot for us. And then this parentified feeling and even you know since you've been here this weekend um having so much pressure to please your parents and to do things when you're trying to heal and they still are not being um a good I guess like they're not helping your healing process and what like how do you navigate that or how are you navigating it what advice do you have because a lot of anyone's trauma unfortunately comes from parents Mm -hmm. and and I've been guilty this is a really long tangent I'm sorry Mm -hmm. um I've been guilty even of like trying to put this pressure on both of us of like generational trauma and we need to like it's not our parents fault like we need to kind of have this Uh, level of understanding because mm -hmm. I think to an extent like for me that helps me um forgive a little bit of like right like and it, that's been a part of my healing journey. So anyways, but I feel, you know, like to an extent that doesn't need to be the same for everyone, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have, you don't have to feel sorry for them or like decide generational trauma is the reason that they're shitty parents and like have raised us so horribly and we spent <clears throat> seven years in the foster care system, but still there's this pressure. So anyways, that was a long-winded question. The question I guess I guess is... How do you navigate that um, when you're trying to heal and be sober? So for me, for for instance, uh, there there's got to be there has to be respect involved on on like my end because I'm kind of doing it through um, I'm I'm doing my best to do it through a, a spiritual way of um, like no longer pleasing them, but pleasing the Lord, but also trying to, um, respect what they have to say, but not there. You, you have to be real careful with it because they're still your parents and whatnot, but that doesn't mean you have to, um, how do I word this? You, you don't have to give in to the pressures of what they want for your life just because they don't understand what you're trying to do with, with your life. And, as long as you're doing it with a with a healthy, the best that you can do the, with a healthy mindset, and uh, there's no danger and whatnot, if that kind of makes sense, uh, you just kind of have to find the balance, and it's kind of hard to explain because you still have to respect your parents and understand that they might have desires and wants for you, and they might not understand what you're doing, but um, you can't just like for like kind of keeps coming back to like the like in the past with the people pleasing for me i can't go back and start trying to please them all over again um Mm -hmm. there's certain Mm -hmm. things in life that you're you're never going to be able to please everybody you're never going to be able to make everybody happy and at the end of the day it's you and yourself you know what i mean like they might have made a lot of mistakes they might not have been able to raise you the right way and 
there's always going to be areas in your life and other people's life where there was a standard that was not met to your expectation, but you just have to move on. You can't keep holding the past against people. You know, like everybody makes mistakes and uh, everybody misses the mark in certain areas. But if you're growing up and you're trying to get your life right, you got to, you just got to kind of find the balance personally. And I can, I can guarantee you eventually you'll find it you know, still respect your elders and still respect your people, but you got to do this on your own. I mean, they're, they're not always going to be there for you. Um, and it just kind of, it's kind of a situational thing. Like I know, I know I can speak on like, for instance, for my personal situation, like with my parents, um, they were never there. And there's, so there's a lot of expectations that weren't met. My mom works, and still to this day, she works like crazy, um, like crazy hours, insane. Like, she works herself to death, and it kind of, it hurts, you know, but um, in a sense, she did her best to, uh, she always took care of us, you know, like financially with clothes and whatnot, as to where, like, my father, um, he was just a couple minutes down the road, and he never gave my mom any money, and uh, just kind of used her, and then he had these standards that he wanted to, um, see fulfilled in my life, but it it was one of those things. I was like, you're not even in my life. So why am I going to try to please you? Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. It's kind of hard to, to respect somebody that is demanding of something out of you, but they're not even there to, um, raise you up in the way that you should go, you know, with good standards. And like, with my personal case with my father, I had to come to the grips with the fact of understanding, like, he personally never had parents. He grew up in a system, too. Um, he's had a lot of the same dealings to an extent of what I grew up with. And with him never having parents, he never knew how to be a parent. And I'm not trying to use that as an excuse for him, but I have to respect that to an extent and understand his situation. Because you can't you can't teach something you don't know. You you just simply can't. You, But there's got to be a way of going about it because it kind of comes back to the thing with, like, whether you have a parent or not, you know what a good parent should be like. Um, So it, that's where it's kind of in your heart you have to be – you have to have a clear conscience and a clear heart about where you feel about this and not let, like, feelings and emotions get in the way and harbor resentment and bitterness because that's where a lot of my – um, shortfalls in life and my, my problems came from, um, if that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. Um, yeah. do your own thing, you know, but people pleasing will kill you because you're never going to be able to make everybody happy. I don't know if I really answered that question the way that you wanted me to, or like a you good did. way to answer it, you know? The, the answers are your answers to give, Joel. <clears throat> We're just asking questions yeah. <laughs> we don't have any expectations for how you answer these um this conversation is kind of reminding me of the conversation that we had with nastasha about giving and taking and mm-hmm. like who tends to give and who tends to take and how nastasha reflected that like people who have been through certain experiences in life um you know have endured endured adversity and a certain level of trauma they 
tend to be the givers. Like they, mm-hmm. they will um, focus their time and attention on trying to please people and um, receive the love that they, they want to receive. Um, and it's a balance because we also have to learn how to take, not from other people necessarily, but just like take time for ourselves, um, take control of like our lives and it's a really hard balance to strike so I think that's just I'm just reflecting right now I think that that's like a lot of what I'm hearing is just like in your story Joel just that you grew up really and correct me if I'm wrong but like that you grew up giving a lot um and kind of one thing that hit the turning point for you was starting to just take not from other people but just like take in a general sense of like you're taking control and you're taking time and that's hard to do when we feel like we may not deserve that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's huge. It's like the, that undeserving and like thinking that you're not worthy of, um, mm. not worthy of, um, receiving grace and love. Yeah. Um, and to, in order to re- be able to give back grace and love, you have to be able to receive it. I firmly believe that. Um, yeah. and it's a hard thing because that's a huge barrier that I've seen in my own life and with other people's life. Um, like for instance in the program um <clears throat> it's easy to please the the people that you're under but if you feel in your heart that you've missed the mark then you're going to hold on to that and if you're not able to express that like to your leaders in your life or to uh your loved ones then you're going to deal with this this like unforgiveness in yourself and this like kind of bitterness of like it comes back to the unworthiness you know like even if it's something so petty like you might have been cleaning a bathroom and you might have missed a spot on the toilet and it's really nothing at all like at all they just kind of say hey you missed this spot can you clean it a little better but then you just get so in your feelings because mm. feelings and emotions are powerful but yeah. if you're living by your feelings and emotions i mean that's going to rule and reign in your life and you have to learn how to forgive yourself even in like petty minuscule things because from my experience petty minuscule things are kind of like they build up and then when like that one big thing hits it tips you over and you don't know what to do anymore mm-hmm. and um kind of going on a tangent right there but it's i don't know it's kind of hard to explain on that one but um you just have to know how to like generate your and express your feelings and emotions to the correct people mm-hmm. in the correct form cuz if you go around like telling everybody about how you feel and about situations and your emotions in the heat of the moment, you're going to get all this different advice from people like that are unhealed themselves and like have these problems themselves. And they don't know how Mm. to like hurt people, hurt people. And like unhealed people can't heal. Like you can't fix something if you don't know how to fix it. And if you're given your input, it's like working on a car but like your day job is working in an office and you never worked on a car, but you get this expert that comes in because they've driven a car and all of a sudden they think they know how to rebuild a motor when they don't even know how to turn a wrench. And so it's like you start venting all your problems to all these people that have no idea what they're talking about. And because they've seen something or they've done something that is even a little bit familiar with that situation, they give their input and then it, it might even be the right input. But if it's not generated from the right heart motive or it's not generated from, like, the correct understanding of how to, like, maybe even express it, 
that can derail you too. I've I've kind of learned that too. Um, so you just have to be careful with who you talk to. You have to have somebody that you can trust, um, and somebody that don't go to advice in somebody that like just talks the talk but doesn't walk it. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're going to somebody and trying to help them, trying to get them to help you heal, and trying to go to them for like advice, but they live their life like terrible it's probably not the best route to go you know um and that was a downfall in my life um throughout a lot of my journey was I saw these people who like on the outside they had a lot of stuff they had like nice cars they had money they had all these other things but like inside they were so so messed up like just so evil and wicked um and so that's where I got a lot of my advice from growing up and it wasn't the best way to go, you know, um, cause their counsel got me into a lot of trouble, you know, um, not saying it was their fault, but just, I think that's huge is just finding somebody that's, um, living their life right and, uh, is a good example, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and I, it's, you know, it's interesting kind of the pattern of what we've heard, um, from last week to this week of, you know, N- Nastasha was, saying almost the exact same thing about, um, like, when people who've experienced trauma go to people for advice and then, um, like, they're unhealed. Mm -hmm. And and they, you know, she said something along the lines of, like, they're not emotionally um, mature. Yeah. Right enough to to give this advice and and how, how much that can affect you. So I'm wondering kind of... I'm like, I'm always the one to wrap up, but I'm always scared <laughs> someone won't listen to our episodes because they're so long. Um, and I could talk to Joel for clearly a million hours and I know everything about him. Um, I'm curious, like, if you had just like, you know, one solid piece of advice for someone that maybe um, is currently um, either has a loved one that they're close with that is... Um, going through addiction or some sort of other struggle, right? You've had multiple struggles of being homeless and, and trauma in the system or someone who is experiencing that, like, what would you say, um, for them to persevere? Pray for them Mm. flat out. I mean, and if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, get one, you know? Um, cause the, the thing that tipped me over in the correct sense, um, I feel like this is huge. It's a huge testimony. Um, before I came into the program, it was about a month and a half, two months before that. Um, I was, I was had so many run-ins with the cops. It's like uh, literally uncountable. Um, and it's all ca- finally catching up to me, but I was running through the woods one day and, and, uh, like literally running through the woods, just high out of my mind. And, uh, I like ran into somebody's property, which actually ended up being my mom's next door neighbor and, uh, they're believers also. And the wife, the mom of the kids of the 10 kids, uh, literally grabbed onto me, like looked me dead in the eyes and and held my shoulders and said, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And she just kept like instilling it into me and it like, broke my heart and I didn't know how to deal with it because I'd never really had anybody tell me that there was like a plan for my life and that Mm. God loved me. And, um, 
I found out over time that that whole family had been praying for me for like a long time. And uh, I didn't know that. I didn't even know them. Like they just knew me from like running amok just like at two or three in the morning bringing home all like it was yeah it was just reckless you know um and it's just one of those things i've seen over my journey um if you're faithful in your prayers and you're doing your best to walk up like to walk upright eventually it'll come to pass like i've just seen miracles with with praying um so, yeah, I just encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, get to know him. Yeah. I mean, I think your testimony is huge in that your relationship and your faith and this community is a, really the first community that has been anything besides me and you mm-hmm. that has provided you any sort of stability or structure. Um, and unconditional love. And unconditional yeah, and that's love. Hu- that's huge because that's, I guarantee you, that's where almost everybody's. Uh, issues come from is just a lack of love and um what's the word i'm looking for um not sustainability um this word always slips my mind but it's huge it's um stability stability like basically just having like a stable environment with the Huh? I said twin telepathy. Yeah. Sorry, keep going stability there. though, because <laughs> that's it, that was huge in my life growing up. I never had a stable environment with consistent love, um, mm. and to to be able to find that environment, whoever it is, you know, it's not always uh, a church for everybody, and you know, I really hope it is. But mm-hmm. you you just got to find a stable environment with healthy people, and that is a genuine love for your your well being and your future. Mm-hmm. Can I just speak to one thing, too? Um, and this is hard, right? Like, there's a lot of counter transference right now. Recording yeah. with my twin brother. Um, but I also kind of want to talk to, like, the point of if you are someone who is struggling with, like, a loved one or if you have, like, a sibling who grew up in the system with you and you are kind of parentified, um, to to not put all your weight on being that person's everything um because that can be mm-hmm. really detrimental to not only that the, your loved one but yourself as well mm-hmm. and encourage that loved one to find a community um whether it's a faith community or or some sort of structure to help provide that um so you're not doing it all alone um because from personal experience right like I've spent most of my life feeling responsible for Joel and and it wasn't until he found his own community that that he has been able to have stability and so I just I I like stress that um as someone who might if you are someone that has a loved one who's struggling with addiction or homelessness that you're not alone and to also find your own community to best support that loved one. Yeah, my best piece of advice on that is, like, especially with a loved one, um, and especially if you're on good terms with them still, regardless of what they do to you, um, until you kind of experience it, it's, you might not understand it, but they're not them. They're It's literally not them when they're when they're high or drunk and um, doing these things. They don't want to do it deep inside. I guarantee you, nobody wants to be an addict deep inside. And so you just got to find that balance of encouraging them and loving them, but you cannot enable them. You know what I mean? Like, um, you can do things to help them. Like, if they need food, 
by all means help them but don't make it a daily routine of always feeding these people that you're trying to help better like if you want to see somebody better their life you can't enable them you know what i mean and that's i think that's a huge problem with with america nowadays is there's there's nothing wrong with with um helping the down and out but there's got to be a balance in it because if all you're doing is enabling them giving them free food giving them shelter like on a daily basis and there, it's kind of hard to explain there's just got to be a balance you got to love them and encourage them and do your best not to hold like these odds against them because they're going to hurt you regardless whether it's stealing from you whether it's like verbal abuse um it's it's kind of hard because like i said it's it's kind of a catch-22, and you just really have to find that balance if you're dealing with somebody that's an addict, because, like, especially if it's, like, a mom or something, or, like, a sister, like, obviously you love them, and you want to help them, but you can't help them so much to where it's, like, they feel comfortable living in this life, because they know that they always have somebody to fall back on, like, if anytime somebody needs, like, if you're, if you're an addict, and anytime you need some food, like, there's somebody there that's going to help you. There's there's this spot in your heart where you're like, why do I want to change? It's, it's not bad enough yet. I'll wait till it gets a little bit worse. Um, and it's hard because then from the addict's point of view, they get like real angry and emotional because they're like, man, you don't even freaking care about me. You don't even love me. Like I'm in jail. You won't even answer my phone call. But it's like, there's just, you just got to be able to set boundaries set boundaries and like not enable them and guard yeah. your heart above all else man like it's huge it's so hard to do but like that's proverbs 4:23 guard your heart above all else because it'll determine the course of your life like if you're always feeling sorry for somebody you're going to enable them because you want to help them do better but you're not willing to help them in the right healthy aspect so it's just right it's hard but you got to find that balance and like mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of one of those things. It's it's a it's a trial and error, and it's a learning process for everybody on both sides of the, the teeter-totter of being the loved one that is an addict and being the loved one that's trying to help them. Yeah. So. Those relationships are super hard to navigate, but I think that that's a good point to end on, though, Joel, is that it's like, and Haley, you said it, it's like we, you know, we're talking about unconditional love, but kind of under the like blanket of love boundaries exist and setting boundaries is a form of expressing love yeah and and to tell you truth that's the best way of expressing love is by setting like healthy boundaries yep because like you might think that you're doing okay until like you hit that point where like you're you really understand that you're not doing okay and it's because like you're not getting that same uh, emotional reaction out of your loved ones that you know are there for you, but it's just kind of hard. It's just one of those things is you have to learn and you got to kind of assess the situation in the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it depends on who it is with the situation it is. Cause obviously if you got somebody that like when I first started using drugs was like 12, 13 years old, you're not just going to like complete, it's going to be real hard for you to just completely like kick them away. Right. But if you got somebody that's been on drugs for 10, 15 years, like, you can't just keep, you know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those things you got to learn. Right. right. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joel, for coming on and telling your story. I think that we covered a lot of good stuff with love and connection and boundaries and balance. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot. 
Um, so we appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Facilitating Voices. By the way, this is Claire doing the outro. Ooh, I conned Claire to, into doing it about a second ago. Yeah, so don't judge if, if I mess it up. Um, stay tuned in the weeks to come for discussions surrounding other sensitive issues. These are wild times, and Haley and I want to continue to highlight the work and experiences of all y'all wonderful folks. Until next time, I'm Claire Halixo. And I'm Haley Crow. And remember, every person deserves an outlet. Oh.